1159 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, I've got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song. GearWebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at GearWebsites.com. I probably should have done those in a different order. probably should have done the commercial first and then the introduction to the show because it's not that clear that that's the introduction to the show. But I'm still working on our intros here as we dig in. Uh, production comes second to content. So uh, welcome, everybody, to our Daily Gun Show. We come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern. We talk about guns for about an hour. Each night we have a different focus, a different topic. As you know, on Mondays, our goal is to inspire and to motivate uh, folks who are activists uh, to uh, encourage you to value your voice, uh, to your abilities out there to help spread the word and to be ambassadors for gun ownership and the rights that we've all got, right? So uh, we also like to look behind the scenes and look at the tools and the social platforms and the techniques and the, the networking and the collaborations and the ways and the methods that we are activists. And to that end, uh, as often as possible, I interview Second Amendment activists out there. Uh, and I uh, think of this as a second interview, because a lot of times activists are brought onto a show for their perspective or their expertise or their point of view on something. Maybe they live in an area or have some insight into an in, uh, something that's happening. And they're able to talk about that. They're thanked for being an expert, and then they're moved on so that they could talk about whatever the next 10-minute segment's focus is. And I like to think of this show as an opportunity for the activists to uh, extrapolate on three questions, who they are, what they're doing quickly, then uh, why they do what they do, and then how they do what they're doing. So tonight, uh, we've got Sharon Hin Hinchcliffe. Am I saying it right? I'm, yeah, it's Hinchcliffe. You got it. Thank you. And uh, you're from Washington State. I'm going to let you have you know, the, the beginning of the show here. I also follow the uh, style of uh, James Kalita. Are you familiar with James Kalita? Doesn't sound familiar. It's, he has a podcast, had a podcast called the Out of Order Podcast. I, it was my favorite podcast when he was doing it. He would literally go 20 minutes with a Second Amendment activist, only Second Amendment activists, and he would give them 20 minutes or as, as long as they wanted, but he would say, I'm here with... Uh, uh, Sharon, thanks for joining us. Go. And then you would just have 20 minutes or however long you wanted to just to, to extrapolate on whatever you wanted. And I just thought that was such so cool to just let people chat and not have to bounce around to topics or have some kind of, you know, spoiler speech. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm following that style. I'm going to be shutting up here. I'll <laughs> give you some time to to just describe quickly, if you would, who you are, what you're doing. But really, uh, then the next question I'll ask is uh, why you do what you do and then give you as much time as possible or as, as you'd like to, to get into that. But thanks sure. for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, and it's always been wonderful to uh, to chat with you and for anybody else. So um, I've been an activist for nearly a de almost a decade, just about uh, uh, in Washington. It was 594 
that I started getting active and really seeing what was going on um, in Washington. Um, I'd always been involved with specific with um, civil rights and things like that. I've been involved with it since I've known how critical it's been for being for the defense of civil rights. Um, for those who aren't aware, I am the daughter of an FBI agent who was actually an SAC, special agent in charge. My dad's last division or last assignment was Arizona. So he was the SAC of Arizona. Previously, he was the SAC of San Juan, Puerto Rico, which was the entire um, greater Antilles, the entire Antilles, uh, so the entire Caribbean um, island change. He was always, even with the Bureau, the Bureau has a very much a um, uh, multiple personality when it comes to civil rights. That's the best way I explain it. We can go into another just another time for some of the history that I'm aware of with the Bureau, including some of the stuff that's going on now, but that's not what we're talking about now. So it always been involved and or always paid attention and everything else. So when polls happened, um, at the time and everything, that's when I was livid. I have family who are in the community and who live in the Orlando, greater Orlando area. So that could have been a family member of mine, even though now they say that it was the purpose of why he did what he did was not specifically targeting the LGBTQ community at the time it was. So the Pacific Northwest, specifically Washington at this time, was not known for being um, pro-Second Amendment, uh, especially in Western, Was Western Washington, around the greater Puget Sound area. So we're talking uh, from Bellingham, Everett, Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, all along that whole section right there. And... So did some research to try to find out, hey, how can I get involved with the community for shooting and things like that? Um, and especially within the, within, within the uh, LGBT community to help make sure that people knew what their rights were. So did some searching, found about the, the uh, then was the Seattle chapter of Pink Pistols, and they were trying to get it back up, trying to get it reformulated. Got involved with two of the other three admins that were there. And we're the ones who were there just about every single time. We expanded it from just the Seattle to also the Tacoma. Um, Seattle and Tacoma are about 35, 40 miles apart from each other. So for me, that's not too long of a distance. I know some people on the East Coast think, Oh my God, 40 miles is a long, not here, not with the freeways. And so that's how I started getting involved and then started getting involved with going down to Olympia to be a voice of somebody against all the gun control bills. Um, and that's pretty much where that started from um, and how I got involved with Pink Pistols and how I ended up being one of the three admins. At the time, um, w because of the living situation, I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to lose my housing if it came out 
that I was involved with firearms and firearm education and firearm safety. And I wasn't going to lose my job. So of the three admins, I became the public face. That's how it started for that part of it. And with it, uh, with just being with the chapter and everything else. So every time we'd go down to Olympia, ended up meeting um, the other uh, activists who had been down there, going down there on a on a on an annual basis for the t- time that the legislative session is operational. Then come to find out that in order to really get a seat and get your name involved, you have to get there early. How early? Let's see. The hearing would start at t- between 10 and 10.30, depending on what the scheduling was going on beforehand. The doors of the building don't open until 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning. We were getting in line in front of the building between 4.30 a.m. and 5 a.m. in the morning in January in Olympia, which is Washington's capital. In the snow, in the rain, in the sleet, we're there because that was the only way. It's first come, first serve for who gets to sit and then for being... Uh, called on for how you have your how you have your names and how they call people. Generally, if you're not impaneled by the lobbyist, meaning NRA Isla, not NRA, just NRA. It's Isla who's in part of this. That is the lobbying side. That's who impanels you to be able to speak. Uh, f- right after the legislators or the individuals who write the bills and speak about the bills. That's a guaranteed spot to be able to speak. You would have between two and a half to three minutes sometimes to be able to speak. If you were not impaneled, there would be a time that it would be... um, 90 seconds, 60 seconds to speak. You had to have a speech or statement on point to the legislators, to the committee hearing in that time frame. You had to be able to cut it. So that's how I ended up being involved on the political side. Anybody who's ever heard me speak during the committee sessions knows I am a firebrand. Um, you have restrictions on, you cannot call out a legislator by name. You cannot call out or denigrate anybody on the opposing side, period. They will shut you down. They will, and you will, be, you will not be allowed to speak. Those are the ground rules for this. You are not allowed to bring any props You are not allowed to have anything. You can hand material over to the the support staff, but you cannot have anything with you when you're speaking. That's it. You can have papers that you're reading off of, but you cannot have anything that's a prop. It will be removed. So no buttons. Uh, Buttons sometimes 
um, T-shirts can be printed because they think that you have it. So this is this is how uh, Moms Demand and every town uh, do their whole thing because they'll have shirts that they'll pull over everything else. You can wear the shirts. So we started. And I mean, they would they have, the, have a giant men's huge shirt, and then whatever they're wearing, they can pull that shirt over yes. the outside of everything. Yes. And that's what they would do. Sometimes they would just wear that and they would have like like a white collared shirt underneath it or something like that. Or that would just be their only shirt. Um, or they would have a scarf because you can have a scarf because it's understandable. It's January. It's cold here. Not uncommon for the temperatures in the daytime to be in the high 30s, low 40s. So this is winter in, um, this is storm weather uh, and everything else in the Pacific Northwest. So, also, no hats are allowed. This is like going to a courtroom is the best way I can describe it. Uh, you can have things like that. Now, some people, you would have a, you're allowed to have a laptop because some people are typing up stuff. Um, but they don't like it when you have stickers on your laptop as, as they ended up manipulating the chairs and everything else because they didn't like the fact that we got there so early that we broke up the line of orange shirts or red shirts from every town in mom's demand. We prevented them from having their whole solid line and they were livid over it. There would be times that gun rights of, um, uh, uh, the gun rights responsibility, which is a very much a uh, pro gun control group would just be absolutely complaining and livid the fact that they couldn't get there to be in the first three rows. Is that the kind of group that would be people say bust in or like, yes. in other words, like, I mean, half the time that though can be like a church group or a civic organization or a group that's at a school PTA or something, mm -hmm. a bunch of like-minded folks that say, Hey, let's commute effectively. Well, I'll meet up at this mall or something at the parking lot there where our cars yep. will be safe. And then we take a shuttle bus over to where we need to be because otherwise we got to all be parking and fighting all the other potential city traffic and stuff. So that yep. whole idea of being bus doesn't mean that they're necessarily on the payroll. But that being said, are we talking people that are on the payroll or are we talking we're talking people, people who are, we're talking people who are not on the payroll? They're volunteers. But they are provided coffee, they're provided food, they're provided lunch afterwards and breakfast beforehand. So uh, they're professional protesters, like that's what the you know, whatever the topic is, they're there because they know that's the deal. It's like being a paid most of them are actor. most of them are gun control supporters. I shouldn't say actor, but like the support actors, people that know you can go be in the background of movies and you get fed half the time pretty well. And you get paid sometimes. Uh, and if you're going to be an Not, actor, maybe you get a speaking role. Is it that kind of thing where people are like, hey, this is my hobby. I, I show up, I get fed, I get to meet people that hate guns. It's great. For some people, probably is. I would not put it past it because we see the same people over and over again. They know who we are. We know who they are on site. Um, and we've heard their speeches. They've heard our speeches. Oh, okay. So this is the coyote and the sheepdog punching in oh yeah they're punching back out and saying we'll see you next week that's pretty very very much like that on how it is we know who okay. they are and they hate us 
but you can also kind of tell, oh, they brought more people to this one, and oh, they didn't bring as many people to this one, and they're doing the same. They will always have somebody there. They have stay-at-home moms, retirees, and they will always have somebody there. The majority of the people in the 2A community have jobs, are working. You don't have your retirees. You don't have the individuals who are looking for a cause or something to do outside of what they did beforehand. So they do this instead. They'll make the phone calls and things like they'll volunteer on the phone banks. They'll go down and do a lot of this stuff. Their volunteer base is not as large as the two-way community is at times, but they're more available, if that makes sense. And sure. so, but, so you'll see the same, but they're there because these legislative hearings are during the work week, they're Monday through Friday, they're during business hours. And for the, for the gun control bills, these are the most heated. We get the largest responses of people showing up outside of very, very specific targeted bills in Washington. They went after the um, uh, hairdressers, uh, cosmetologists one year, and they scheduled the uh, hearing for this committee hearing to be on a Monday. Well, most salons are closed on a Monday. So they had 4,000 people down there against the, 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 the bill that was going to be penalizing them. So, that's how they uh, and they were just able to organize. They had a, they had a group. They had phone numbers and they played phone tag. And they the whole thing of there was a commercial years ago in the 1970s and 1980s from a shampoo called Well of Awesome. And it's like you love how this hair works and everything, how the shampoo works. So you tell two friends. Those two friends tell two other friends. So you tell four. Those four people tell two more. So you're up to eight. For those eight, tell four more. You're up to 16. It expands that way. And that's how they're able to bring in people on this. So with the advent of just trying to get people organized here in Washington, two individuals, uh, some people in Washington state will know who these are. And the first one is, um, uh, God, Dan Mitchell from Sporting Systems, who is the largest FFL in the state down in Vancouver, Washington. He would drive up from Vancouver, which is about two and a half hours one way to Olympia for these hearings. And then another individual by the name of Curtis Bingham, who owns a firearms training uh, company called Adventure Protection. He primarily teaches women, uh, specifically a lot of victims of domestic violence, how to shoot and how to be safe and things like that with firearms. They decided a few years ago to set up a group called the Washington Civil Rights Association. And that was, bringing people from the leaderships of all the different two-way organizations within Washington and focusing specifically on Washington. And was that um, in out of frustration or was that, that some other 
one to try to get people to be uh, knowledgeable about what to say, what to speak. Um, the antis will coach people how to speak. They will have a speech set up and then they just like change tiny little things to match for that bill. Sometimes it doesn't, their personal stories don't match what will happen, but they will do that. And we would get a lot of people saying my rights, this or that, and constitution doesn't always work when you talk about these particular things. And they've heard it all. I've been going down to Olympia now for, um, even with the lockdowns, because they did it remote sessions, for uh, going on seven years. And You're talking the politicians have heard it all. The politicians have heard it all. They've heard, and these are these are the same people I have spoken to for the last seven years. They know what, and so coming up with something specifically to approach the bill that they were submitting, and to try to get it passed. So this was to try to get it organized, and it was also to try to get a heads up on what bills were going to be heard when. We don't find, according to the way the lobbying and everything else works, the notification of when these bills are going to be heard in committee is 72 hours. That's how much lead time you have. So we would find out on a Thursday or a Friday that a bill was going to be heard Monday morning. A lot of people can't get that time off from work because it's too short notice. Um, so you have everybody else trying to scramble to get there, to be there. The other, and that note, that information goes out to the lobbyist. So it goes out to the gun control side and it goes out to the two A pro two A side at the same time. So everyone's like, great, we're down there. All right. Let me, I want to take a, cause we've, we've ch chatted a lot and I, <clears throat> I think we're now, I've, I made the mistake of kind of doing more of an interview style. I wanted to mm -hmm. take a break because we're right about 20 minutes. Yeah. And you've explained a little bit for people who may not have um, listened to the Walk the Talk America podcast that mm -hmm. was just the other day or the Riding Shotgun with Charlie interview. Is there any other interviews that we would recommend people to go check out that you'd uh, I, are proud I of or did a good I job explaining your position? <laughs> I don't know what, when I was on with uh, Dan Foss's overnights. So I don't remember what the, they, they, oh, those were. okay. Yeah. The, I um, forgot cause those were some good long ones. And yeah. Yeah. And M Gabriel brought that up. So that really goes into a little bit more of it. And uh, Jake with walk the talk America really from Zephyr wellness really goes into the whole thing on policy. So good catch on that. Um, so that's where it comes in the whole thing on the policy and the things like that. Um, and so Pan Woods asked me, it's like, who inspires me in the 2A? Um, originally, it was Ken Blanchard, black man with a gun. Interesting. Uh, I don't know if we've he, ever heard me before, but when I first started doing stuff online, I was looking around and thinking, what should I do? And I saw Ken and I was like, I know what I'm doing online. He's one of the original, original, original old uh, gentlemen when it comes to this. Um, uh, let's see. Cheryl from um, uh, uh, Gun Radio uh, out of Arizona. Yes. 
um, just with some of the stuff that she does, following what she was does, uh, the women from the DC from the DC project, absolutely inspirational, um, and some of the newer ones, uh, uh, Rhonda, and I can't remember Rhonda's last name right now. Rhonda um, Mary. Rhonda Mary. Oh my God, I love her. She is going to be a rising star. She is incredible when it comes to two A stuff. Absolutely incredible. And yeah, and doing it with like a surgeon's touch, but then also like style or whatever, but then yes. in the places and in ways that no one's ever gonna be able to achieve. It's really cool. Yeah. She's really doing amazing work, both on on this through social media and things like that she's really doing an incredible job on this she's can going you imagine to i mean let me ask you because i always have to talk to dudes all the time so i know your answer and woods is question here but this is the nature of we, we're going to ramble a little bit i guess uh what's it like in a world 2022 a little girl can have a Rhonda mary and a cheryl todd that exist online and are active and are still doing their thing and not only to say, oh, there's a role model I can look up to, but they're literally, literally accessible. They could probably instant message them. You know, a little girl who aspires to whatever can instant message either one of those ladies or more using them as examples of all the other, you know, variety of ladies out there that are inspirational. And and what's the result of that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, incredible. Absolutely incredible. What has come from social media and me, really me, i had been involved in social media before but not got more involved with it on the the political side with the 2a with the advocacy and everything else and to be able to reach out to some of these individuals some of these women to some of these individuals is absolutely incredible um inspirational everything else is just one of the things that really brings everything together and you can find it's easier to find your niche that way it is so much easier to find your niche and to find out it's like i don't have to be somebody who's a competitive shooter i don't have to be somebody who is a lawyer speaking on a lot of these things i can be somebody who wants to represent my community and wants to make sure that people are safe and people are educated. And that's where I think Rhonda comes in so powerfully. And then Cheryl, she's been doing this for years. Her resources are incredible on knowing who is in what state to be able to speak to, with in the particular state that you're in. Up until this March, my concern was no, I would be working a little bit on the national side. My focus was on Washington. And that's where I and kept for, my focus. For people that may not realize, we're talking Washington state all the time, not Washington DC. Yes, I'm not concerned with DC, which is the national stage. I'm concerned about Washington state, about the laws here and everything else. For six years, we fought and defeated every single gun control bill that had ever been submitted. This was the first year 
where it was slammed through against overwhelming documented opposition for again uh, opposition to the to the magazine capacity we had it confirmed over 15,000 washington residents which is one out of every 500 washington residents had submitted against this bill how long have i been in washington 2007 um i decided that i needed a change of of um careers sort of i knew i was a graphic designer um creative director uh in that field for 20 years and i knew that it was going by the wayside because i was on print production side for magazines things like that so instead of going to new york or to los angeles or to chicago i saw where else i could possibly go i had done technical work before so i came up to seattle um in 2007 and at another point remind me gwebs uh i have a very very funny story about that trip but we don't want to go into that right now about the um, trip to washington state okay when i drove up from from phoenix to washington it was um, it was an adventure um so i've been in washington since 2007 i because of my father's background because of what he did i am a what's known as a bureau brat similar to we're much less number wise than military by the time i graduated from high school i was in 15 different schools. Okay, that was one of my questions that I was going to ask as you were just talking before, but I didn't want to interrupt and do that. But I was going to ask, is it is being working is being the daughter of an FBI agent like that the same as State Department or military? And it sounds like very much so. Yeah. Very much so. There's very few of us. Um even the, less. I suspect it's even weirder because what are you gonna say your dad's in the FBI then everybody thinks you're James <laughs> And everyone's like, ew, what? Or like, wow, what is he doing? I'm like, yeah, when I was really, really little, I actually lied about it at uh, one school and I said that he was a um, garbage man because um, just didn't want to deal with the, was like, oh my God, your dad does what? Yeah, I didn't want to deal with it. Um, my parents thought that was amusing. Um, I picked like the most common thing out there that I, that I thought was like a common job. So, uh, it's really, I have a, a definite different outlook than most people. The most I've ever lived in one place was Phoenix, where I actually graduated from high school. Washington right now is coming up on the second longest. Um, for the most part, we never stayed in one place for more than two and a half to three years at any given time when I was little. So went all over the all over the country and the caribbean so um and let's see so that's pretty much what i've got oh how should we uh pn woods how should we fight 1639 going forward there is an initiative um that is going around um to try and get some of these gun control bills repealed I don't recall the name of it. I'm sorry. Uh, 
just you mean the new lawsuit in Washington state? Not the new lawsuit. This is an initiative. Washington has voter initiatives oh. that can be, if you get enough signatures, you can yep. get it on the ballot and uh, force a vote. And there's also a way to force it to the legislature. So where the legislature has to take it up. And With the ballot initiatives and you basically mm -hmm. just get enough gun shops to have these pieces of paper petitions and then yes and people to sign uh sign only once there's no online signatures for the stuff that this is not valid that way um you could only you can you have to be registered to vote to sign uh the majority of the people who are gathering signatures uh at various different places will have voter registration forms also so that is key somebody who's going to be 18 by the time the general election comes can register the vote in washington even though they're 17 and then sign the petition um they do allow up until if you're right before your 18th birthday to, to start it up on that uh this is a new this is not, sporting systems was involved with one from two years ago that uh pan woods may remember something about this is a new one this is one that came out and uh lori thice with one with the republican party and mj mullins who is heavily evacted with the active with the nra but she's also active with the republican party and one of the legislators, and I apologize for not remembering his name at this point, I think it might be Robert Sutherland, uh, which is a Washington state legislator. Um, this is for the local one. This is what's coming out. They're the ones who have started this and working on that, getting this stuff. If people are interested in finding out about the petition, hit Washington Civil Rights uh, Association on Facebook. There is a Discord channel. Um, let me get that link for you real quick, GWebs. Uh, let's see, invite people. I think I have a permalink. Uh, no, this will be for seven days. Oh, no, I might be able to, yeah. Um, so since while you're looking there and since you're addressing Woods' question uh, about this one, what's your position on I don't know what to call like if there's i don't know what the odds are this one so i don't want to put any kind of sure. what's your position on um working towards um a, a something account like that a, a ballot initiative or something that isn't a for sure thing it isn't a, a guaranteed win period like what's your opinion on and because there's gonna that's going to be one of the positions that people say either that's my reasoning for not participating or that's why i'm gonna second guess everything and wait you know i'm, I'm, I'm gonna participate but i'm gonna wait until it's the sure win or it's the sure thing so we have to start we have to start fighting back here in washington the initiative that happened a number a uh, couple of years ago was a fiasco we tried to salvage it but the way it was done and everything was not going to go forward this is actually being done by people who know the process who understand the legislative and the initiative process so yeah i'm going to supporting this one 
hundred percent. We have to start somewhere. We have to be on. We have to get on the initiative. We have meaning the initiative meaning to be on the offense. We've been playing defense here in Washington too long, and this is what's caused us to lose ground. Washington State, for those who are not residents or maybe people who aren't aware of, was the first state to have state preemption, meaning that no local county, city, or community law could be stricter against firearms than what the state law is. We're in the process of losing that here. They've had two open carry bills uh, pass through very manipulative language. The particular legislator legislator lied um, during the committee hearings. We have to be extremely careful in our response to such information we can't directly address what they said so we have to address it elsewhere so we have to get on the we have to get um on the we have to get on the offense washington is a democrat supermajority state when it comes to the legislature and meaning the house the Senate, the governor, the secretary of state, the Supreme state Supreme Court, and the state attorney general are all Democrats. And they are all anti-gun. They will do what they can to violate the state and federal constitutions. They don't care. I have it on recording. Uh, Jamie Peterson, who is the senator out of the Cap Hill district in Seattle, saying he does not care that a young woman who is 18 to 20 from 16 from the initiative that became became law 1639 would not be able to have a firearm at all. He didn't care. If she wants a firearm, she should join the military. That's his words. I have him on audio saying that from during a town hall. They actively lie about the gun violence. And these are the same legislatures who have hobbled law enforcement in the state, meaning they cannot pursue criminals in active pursuit unless they see the crime happening directly. Currently in Seattle, and this was released um, through King 5 and I believe Cairo 7, which were the local stations, reported on this. Rapes are not being investigated in Seattle currently. There's an outside contractor, outside lab, who is finishing processing the backlog that had been about 15 years of rape kits. But right now, in 2022, from about February to March moving forward, rape is no longer being investigated for new cases. That's going to expand into other areas. 
these are the same legislators who had no issues with when the lockdowns hit, had no issues in releasing violent criminals who went after their victims who testified against them. I know of one um, one uh, rape victim who is in a wheelchair. Her rapist went after her a second and a third time after he was released due to preventing COVID in the prisons. Oh, what PN Woods was saying about we have gun violence here in Tacoma. Yes, we have gang and criminal violence here in Tacoma. Hosmer is a horrible area for this. Um, it's a specific street, a uh, couple of blocks. And yeah, it's a problem in South Tacoma. It does not help that the mayor of Tacoma, Victoria Woodward, has received political campaign backing by Bloomberg. She's been to his events. She has received monetary compensation for her campaigns to push gun control. The same thing with Ryan Moon. This is the individual who wrote the gun and ammo tax for Tacoma that is still on hold for a short time. They have to wait for the study to be completed. Um, he is best friends with the Speaker of the House, Lori Jenkins. Lori Jenkins is rabidly anti-2A. She wants guns removed from everybody. She is a former public health attorney for King and Pierce County. Her wife works in the Attorney General's office, Bob Ferguson. So yes, and the best part is Bob Ferguson used to work for Bill Gates's father's law firm as a lawyer. So there is a whole thing when it comes to everything going on with this and finding out who's connected to what, um, who has the ability to have dinner conversations or after dinner conversations on how to get bills passed. Yes, those happen. So, and I know this type of communication happens in every state because I know it also happened in Arizona. And I knew a lot of the players in Arizona because of where I went to high school. And it's a who's who. Six degrees, the whole game of six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon. Can you do maneuvers of who's who, who's connected to where? That is politics for you. And that is how everything, it all goes through. So, um who else wants questions? It looks like Daily Gun Show has something on there. So <laughs> I'm trying to also pay attention to that. So yeah, PN Woods, yes, I understand. We do have a problem. Can we, it has to, it's a multifaceted thing that needs to be addressed. G-Webs will have me on at additional times and we can go through how to be active on the political side at the city level, at the county level, and then at the state level, because that's my focus. National is a whole other thing. Well, that's actually pretty interesting. So a couple of ways you brought it back to 
what I would want to chat, chat about today was uh, you and your motivations and your methodologies, right? Mm -hmm. So appreciate that you're in Washington. You've got a unique set of situations there. And Woods is where those and you're addressing his questions. And uh, it kind of went off there to talk about specifically a couple of the different like, you know, initiatives or campaigns or strategies that both sides are using. But what you kind of ended up there uh, was talking about the, oh, I don't know what to call that, like just the the nature of politics, perhaps nature of everything, really. There's mm -hmm. a certain amount of people that are going to be aware of a situation or the procedures or the, right, like, and then there's the people that are adjacent to those people. And then there's the people that could care less. They they pay somebody to take care of that form, right? They They elect someone to take care of that stuff so that they don't have to deal with it. And we live in a country where you're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's all these people that are like, well, nobody wants to deal with politics. Nobody wants to deal with laws. So I'm going to go over and deal with it. And I'm going to make a bunch of money doing it. And yeah. then there's the people that are aware of it and the people that are struggling. And and I, if I'm summarizing it, well, that's, if I'm summarizing it correctly, that's sort of what I was trying to ask is the, the why you do what you're doing. It's because you're aware of that. And as you kind of, as I was trying to say there at the end there, um, your insight, your experience, um, made it, I'm assuming made it difficult to just stand there and watch what was going on, knowing full well how it was happening and that, you know, there's things that can be done by individuals to divert that from happening, right? To just, you know, prevent or at least create potential for opportunities besides that, right? Yeah. There's a lot of ways people get involved. Get involved in your precinct committees. The precinct, things are divided down when it comes into politics. Um, yes, you have uh, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians um, are your major, and the Green Party are your four major parties. These are the parties that will have a candidate on national uh, ballots in all 50 states. Those are your major ones. You have your two big ones, and then you have your two minor ones. You also have some additional ones in various different states and things like that. So you get involved with your precinct. If you want to at least know what's going on, this will get you involved with your local district for your state legislature. And this is where, and also your, it will help with your county as well. Your county, your school board, and your city, this is where your taxes and your voice and your vote have the greatest power over everything. National, we vote on, um, uh, through the electoral system. You're talking millions of votes within a state to make a decision of where a selected few votes go to for the presidential. More people have a greater chance of deciding an election in the district on your state district than anything else. I mean, we're talking about sometimes where in some of the counties in Washington, they'll have 15,000 votes come in for a county. King County, Pierce County, Thurston County, Snohomish, and Spokane. Those are your major population areas. Oh, and Clark County with Vancouver. Those are your major population areas. Your votes, you're gonna have more districts in those areas. So it's not that your vote's diluted, your vote is determined within your district. And this is where they do the um, 
where they do the redistricting for how the votes are for what district you are in. This all matters because this is done every 10 years based upon the census. And that's how they redraw those lines. In Washington state, and I know in Arizona they have done this, and I know in, um, I believe, Wisconsin and Ohio are having issues also. The party in control controls how the districts are being done. It's supposed to be open up to both major parties to, and with somebody who is an independent. Pressure will get it so that parties lean heavy Democrat or, or th where the districts will leave heavy Democrat or leave lean heavy Republican. It takes a strong person to have a district for the for the voting districts to remain independent of either party. Okay, well, what we're talking about or what you're what you're describing is uh, one of the layers of where you can put action or effort into yes. to affect change. But like you said, we're going to have, we're going to. We'll go dive into this on some other sites too. Regular. One yeah. of your um, ambitions and one of the reasons we're going to be chatting on the regular is because our ambitions sort of align there that our goal is to um, empower and inspire and then uh, offer resources for folks, create resources, you know, together and then with others, you know, collaborate on some resources and then make them available so that um, we basically uh, offer what I would call like what we would have gotten civics class back in the day or in government yes. class or something back in the day. And uh, we'll like I say, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that more. So let me ask again, we, we've gone not quite an hour, about 45 minutes, Kind of going off on uh, different subjects, but uh, to try to summarize on the why, you've explained a lot of it already. But if I had to stop everything and ask again the open ended question, now that we have much more insight as to uh, how you got to where you're at and you know when you started and the answering those questions about the organizations and the specifics about some of these recent things. Um, being motivated uh, to do it. Um, and again, it's a lot easier. I always preface this when I ask this question about the why is it's a lot easier just sit there and watch other people do it or complain that it doesn't get happen, you know, it doesn't happen. So again, you've done a lot and you've continued to do it when it wasn't easy or profitable or anything like that. So um, what is the why? What's your why? If not me, who? who's going to step up i don't see a lot of people fully stepping up i don't see people who are making and, and a lot of people have lives they can't they're working they don't have the ability to take time to do this policy advocacy work is a lot of work during the legislative session on top of a full-time job that I do, I would be doing another 60 to 70 hours a week of advocacy, of research, finding out what's being done, reaching out to individuals to see if they can speak. If they can't speak, find out who can. If they can't find 
need to be available, need to know what the bills are, all the bills are, so that if somebody drops off because they can't make it, I can fill in and speak against the bill with very little prep time ahead of time to be able to talk about the different laws, the histories, and the things like that. So that's how I became involved. And the few in Washington who do know, I have been very vocal. G-Webs, you know this. This year is the year I have to pull back. And when I say pull back, I have to pull back 98%. I cannot do the advocacy work that I've done before. Whereas during Pride, I would be at all the different Pride festivals in the, in the Seattle-Tacoma area with a booth for Pink Pistols, start to finish, talking with people. Um, before the lockdowns and everything had happened, I had spoken to over 40,000 non-gun owners about firearm safety and about what your rights are in Washington. I can't do that anymore. The reason being is a medical reason. It was brought up during um, the interview with Jake and Mike um, from Walk Talk America. I have non-age-related macular degeneration, which means that untreated, I will be going blind. I am under treatment, but it means I have to keep my blood pressure down. I can no longer be doing what I've been doing. So this is one of the reasons why G I've said I would help G-Webs in getting this information out on how to be an activist, how to be, how to make your voice heard so that you're not just typing on Facebook, typing on Twitter, what have you you're able to actually have your voice heard and be able to defend your own rights. So Patriots out there, uh, Patriot in the dark, I don't know if you've ever met or chatted with so. He's a Marine out of uh, Michigan. There's a lot of people up late. AR Guns is also up late. And well, we don't get bacon around here very often. Um, I'm guessing he's saying that you're in his area also. Mm -hmm. um, M. Gabriel, I think, jumped in as well. So, and then Sandhill Shooters was in here earlier. Have you met Sandhills? Not sure if I have or not. Looks like he's uh, based on this thing, uh, Oklahoma or Nebraska. That's a Nebraska, just a little goofy because he has a word above it. But yeah, that's a Nebraska. He's in, uh, uh, he's also works with the, um, what is it? N something 
what is the Nebraska organization? It's red and it has NOSA or something. Okay. Look. So, sorry for interrupting. Patreon and Dark made a good point. A piece of the pie, you can do it. Yes. Everybody has a part that they can play in. And take that part, finesse it, make sure that their voice is heard. And an FOA. Cool. It's probably and Nebraska FOA. Firearms something. Of Nebraska Firearms Owners Association. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of different ways of doing this. Nearly every state has an organization that's at the forefront to have that's that's driving a lot of the defense of 2a and also knife rights because knives are weapons under the second amendment also um there are some lot of really crazy insane bills when it comes to knives and in washington knives are not under state preemption every city every jurisdiction can have its own law something to be aware of um and that's true on any state states can have a multitude of multiple laws for knives and non-firearm uh, devices so discovering what a person can do and how listening to the different podcasts listening to the different shows following the different um, individuals, uh, say Colin Noir, he puts a lot of really good information out um, on the national level. Uh, sometimes he'll reference some of the others who are on a state level or something like that. So there's a lot of people who can help somebody. Um, there are also a lot of people who are claimed to help but do it for personal reasons, for making money for themselves. That's all I will say on that subject. Uh, do be wary of those individuals. But the, the, the whole thing of why I do what I do, somebody needs to stand up. Not everybody has the ability to stand up against those who dehumanize an individual to prevent them from their human right of self-determination, which includes self-defense. That's just some of the stuff that, that's part of the reason why. Not no, you letting me give you an open-ended question like that, basically, <laughs> and then just letting you, have, you know, have it dead mic mm -hmm. there for 20 minutes so that you had, you had a chance to uh, um, hit it from multiple ways. Uh, my goal is to just let activists uh, have some time uh, to uh, to do that, to just kind of freeform think about why or let us know and mm -hmm. to maybe archive for yourself. I don't know if it's therapeutic or useful for yourself, but I appreciate you taking the time to let us yeah. know. Now, you didn't really talk about it too much, but you've got a very technical background. You're uh, familiar and aware. You talked a little bit about the marketing side, but uh, for anybody you know, that's adjacent to all the technical side of all of that. So understanding the tools and 
strategies and being familiar and experienced and capable with the tools because anybody can know what Photoshop is and what it's capable of. It's a different yeah. thing to use the tool, right? So yeah. having that experience level and everything when you came to the table, my next question, <clears throat> and we've already gone an hour, but we already said we're yeah. probably going to go over an hour. So <laughs> thank you, everybody. That's fine. You yeah. know, I can talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm only trying to keep it short for shorter for the podcast side. Yeah. Uh, but again, I don't care, really. But so let's talk how, because again, we're going to be chatting more in the future. So, you know, we can elaborate on stuff. So maybe like a bullet points or an outline. Since you knew what you were going to do and now we have some insight as to why, and we've known what you've accomplished mm -hmm. and worked on and stuff. Um, when you uh, kind of made that decision or as you figured out you were doing it, I guess it's not, you don't always make the decision. You kind of figure out, uh Oh, wait a minute. I am an activist. I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, what was your resources? What was your skill set? What did you bring to the table? And then I guess, as you're answering, maybe include the stuff like what you intended to think you were going to need. Like I figured I was going to need these tools and I ended up needing those tools or I, I thought I was going to need this skill set. And what I really needed was that skill set. And then I have a couple more questions to kind of depending on how you go with this, but I want to leave it again, open-ended sure. and I appreciate you uh, been willing to answer this one. So how and Thanks. Yeah, how? So the how is my background before I got into IT, because I am a network engineer. Um, so when you're talking about on the technical side, I was a creative director for a direct mail franchise. So advertising, also with editorial design and layout. So communication and how to get a message out quickly. Visually, a picture says a thousand words how to get and i started with 596 and dropping very very graphic not the typical pro two-way imagery now this five nine when you're saying 596 that's the i think it's 596 or 594 i can't remember at this point. the ballot initiative that gave you a washington state the the assault weapons ban and so the 594 594 gave us uh universal background checks there okay, are no legal there are no legal private sales that do not happen within washington state outside of direct family without going through an ffl okay so let me just since you brought that up and i totally missed there then so there's more abuses than i realized when you got to washington state what had already been in place and then since you've been there what kind of stuff have they hit you with since i've been here because before when i moved up here washington was still good um in 2007. uh i wanted i can't remember when 594 was pushed through that's universal background checks that was the big one that was the first one and then 16 and it took we it took a lot of people there was a huge fight against it the second amendment foundation which is based here in bellevue washington which is across lake washington from seattle fought it hard there was a concurrent bill that they did that they were fighting up against that wasn't going to be as restrictive but bloomberg and co dropped if I remember correctly, $10 million in the fight to push 594 in. 
this is the one where Bloomberg bought like every marketing department and every. That was the next one. Okay. That was so the this next was one. Just him warming up. Oh yeah, yeah. This was the first one. They wanted to see if they could get it through. They got it through. And the other side just didn't have the money to do the advertising, didn't have the money to get into the uh, commercials and everything else. So it, it did not pass um, with that. The second one that came through was 1639. This is the one that codified within Washington the language that by the action of the firearm being a semi-automatic rifle is a assault weapon in Washington. It is codified in Washington law now that anything that has the action of you pull the trigger, a round is fired, and the gases and the mechanisms during the cycling remove the the case and load up the next round to be fired in Washington is a legal assault weapon. And you've just described like what Browning invented back in like 1901 or something. And it's been common for pretty much every gun except for lever actions and break opens. Pretty much that's every gun's operation. Yes. Yes. And you had to take a class um, in order to be able to show that you knew this whole thing. And this is the class that for anybody who's in Washington, go online to sportingsystems.com. They have a class that's free that meets the criteria that you hand the paperwork over after you print it out to the gun shop that you purchase your semi-automatic rifle from. Under 1639, a Ruger 1022 and a Marlin 60 are legally classified in Washington state as an assault weapon based upon that action. So that's part of 1639. The other part of 1639 is the increase of the background checks to include medical and mental health. In Washington, you already signed a waiver for all handguns to check medical and mental health. 1639 expanded that to semi-automatic rifles. There are other legal issues that go along with it. That's for another time. Jake and I discussed that with the Walk the Talk America um, uh, podcast a bit on that. Why don't we say that had, that's a great way to send people over to that one because you do talk about that. So let me, because I was, I interrupted and I was asking you about the how. So yeah. you think you were about to start digging into it and then I sidetracked you. Yeah, no, I'm not going to go into the how. We discussed, Jake and I discussed it on there because with him being. Oh, no, no, I mean the how when you decided to become oh, an active. Sorry, so I, 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 became, I, I asking you about the laws and stuff. I yeah. Have, so, so, and that was the thing. It was to fight, the, it was to fight these laws. It was to fight this stuff. So that's when I became the activist. Um, 
I had been politically active when I was in Arizona. And this was just a continuation. It's like, I know, try to reach out to find out who I needed to connect with to be politically active here in Washington. Because I, when I came up here, I had no connections. I knew maybe five people. And that was it. And um, so that's... And it wasn't like there was a bunch of people that were active and you just had to meet them. There was an absence of, it sounds like. There was an absence of a method to connect to people, of the people who are actually active going down on a continual basis. To be honest, those mornings when we were sitting around at five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, freezing our tuckus off down in Olympia, yeah, you meet people and you would be talking and then you would see them the next day and the next week. And then when the session closed and the session reopened, you would see them again. So that's how you. I met quite a few of the different people and things like that. So um, Goddamn Bacon's breaking up um, two points I want to address. Um, uh, you can conceal a pocket knife. You cannot conceal a knife larger. And I want to say one of the things is the way to make sure that it's legal within Seattle is the blade cannot be longer than your driver's license. The longer the longest distance that's a key way of doing it renton has a different law on what can be concealed and what is legal and so does kent i don't know the particulars but i know they are different and yes there was a bill back in um 2017 that would have included a magazine capacity bill what the magazine capacity bill that passed this year that goes into effect July 1st, meaning you, anybody in Washington, you have less than two days, three days to buy any of the standard capacity bills, uh, no, standard capacity magazines before you can no longer buy any. Most of them had a deadline of midnight tonight in order to be able to ship, uh, in order to be able to ship them in time. Uh, check your local stores. I know um, uh, I know Weapons Outfitters has them. I know Sporting Systems has them. I know Sportco, uh, um, uh, Pistol Marys, Mary, um, Pistol Marys in, uh, Pistol, no, Pistol Annie's in Bonnie Lake. Um, she's got a bunch. And they have to have, the local shops have to have these sold before July 1st. They cannot ship them out. They're stuck with them. They cannot distribute them or anything else. It's so. Does the decision that just happened at Socus affect us? Possibly. I don't know the full details because the Duncan lawsuit out of California had made it through the ninth and was pending the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association decision for SOCUS. SOCUS has another few days before they decide to send it back to the ninth, not take it up, or put it on the calendar for next year for the next session. 
There are several different things that can go on. The Socus blog, um, online, on Twitter, as well as several of the other um, FPC. Obviously, everybody already knows where they are, who they are. Keep an eye on what they're saying on what the status is on that. So um, that's the details you want to be paying attention to because what happens in the ninth, if the ninth circuit makes a decision for California, it will affect Oregon and Washington state as well because we are under the ninth. Uh, and the, if SOCUS does take this up and they go with the same text tradition scrutiny, then there's a good chance that the majority of the gun control bills that have been passed recently here in Washington will be null and void. I am not a lawyer. That's just my but, understanding. But lawyers that'll jump all over whatever the potential is, right? Yeah. And that's the, the potential. Double check with the actual lawyers who know this stuff. Robert so Barnes. Robert, this is, sure, yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to jump in my head. Uh, the lawyers, you want to pay attention to this. These are the guys who have gone to the Supreme Court, fought the state, fought the government, and won. Robert Barnes, Ron Coleman, Randy Barnett, Alan Gottlieb. These are the four lawyers that I know, hands down, no constitutional law and know how the Supreme Court is deciding things with with the stuff going on. Ron Coleman is a wonderful old lawyer. He's the one who fought the U.S. Patent Office for the Asian punk band, the Slants, who were denied a trademark of their band name saying that it was derogatory and racist it was an asian punk band ron coleman took it to the supreme court with them and they won it can happen the little guy can win we just had the the lawsuit um six three decision for the bremerton former football coach and this was a First Amendment case. That case actually went up pretty fast, um, faster than some of the two-way lawsuits do. And I think that is based upon how the different states and the different courts take up these cases um, for that. But that was a First Amendment case that came up. The same thing with the main case in the prevent, which was a 9-0 decision, which was beautiful to see. And this was where Maine was preventing um, vouchers and state funding to go to religious schools that were already going to non-religious schools that were private. So and they're like, nope, can't do that. You cannot discriminate against a religious school because they're teaching religion whereas you're giving funding to state schools. So when you get more into some of this advocacy, you can see where 
it's not just a single two-way issue. The two-way and the rest of the Bill of Rights plus the 14th really impact each other. And the reason why I say the 14th, the more I've been studying on the 14th, the 14th codifies and has the Bill of Rights apply to the states, not just the 10th. This is also dealing with some of the stuff that came up with uh, the more uh, politically diversive decision that came out the day or two after with um, the 2A decision um, against Casey and Roe. That's a discussion for another time on how those, how that was decided and everything else. But the whole thing, text, tradition, and scrutiny. Yes, the courts previously have made bad decisions. Jorgensen v. Massachusetts, Buck v. Bell, um, Sullivan. I'm not happy that the case for Sullivan did not go, Sullivan did not get overturned. Sullivan's a First Amendment dealing with newspapers and reporters in how defamation is of character is done. Um, it still indemnifies and prevents, say, the New York Times, the Washington Post from being sued for defamation um, on some very particular language. You discover as you're working in 2A how various laws are being put in there that are, I don't want to say backdoor, but they're sidesteps or tangents. Like shoehorns. Right, like, oh, 2A so bad, 2A so bad, we're just going to really quickly make a law where 18-year-olds don't have rights anymore. Where 18 and 20-year-olds don't have rights, or where they violate due process. The whole set of due process, which is the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is when you were mentioning that, that, yeah, there's a whole bunch of amendments that get hit before the second on a red flag, right? Oh, yes. The second is the last that gets hits with a red flag. So we kind of went on tangents again, and I blame everybody out there that keeps typing stuff. A lot of times people <laughs> type stuff and whoever's the guest doesn't have any idea how to read the chat. So they're just oblivious, right? And then they're chatting along, but you're reading all the chat. So they're, you're, you know, they're responding to them, which is fine, really, who cares? But, um, you know, I had asked about the how. So you'd had this, you kind of mentioned that you had skill set. Um, when you decided what you had available and in where you could come to the table, it sounds like portions of it were you were the one who could be physically there. Yes. Um, was that, <clears throat> I had the question here, was that more of an, um, maybe this isn't the same thing, but this is going to lead me to this question. Uh, when you were, I don't know, as you were be, being an activist, I don't want to say as becoming, because like when you moved to Washington State and then, you know, started become as you were an activist, was it more of an issue from the motivation end and the management of relationships with others? And I'm assuming since you were in the game for a while, you were there for some people who were there forever as permanent fixtures and then probably a lot more people that came and went and then even more people that just briefly show up and say hey you know throw some money down luckily and then you never see them again but you know you have all these different people that are, you have to manage and, and work with and around and 
you know, in spite of sometimes, was it more of a, a situation of managing wins or was it a man, uh, an issue of like stopping the bleed uh, losses or was it something else? Am I picking bad? It's a combination of both. Okay. It's a combination of both. It's a combination of managing the fact that we were there every single time, every single herring for the first six years in fighting these uh, gun control bills. We fought the assault weapons ban and the magazine capacity ban for six years and won. This was the seventh year that they submitted it and they were going to push it through no matter what. My understanding, there was a lot of back-end discussions and push being done where legislators on the Democrat side in Washington were threatened with campaign election funds. If they voted against the bills, against what the party was pushing, the state party was pushing, they were not going to have funding for their campaign. That's the kind of dirty politics that we were fighting up against this time. And it was clear. Um, the town halls and things like that, uh, they were making statements that the heavy push that they were getting from the 2A community here in Washington was like nothing they had ever seen before. This was the third year the Washington Civil Rights Association really was able to push hard and get people not just like myself who had been down there every single time and but who were who were we were able to get new people to speak made it a lot easier with it being a remote session people could set time during the workday or lunch to make the hearing whereas before they couldn't make the um the 50 60 mile drive one way from seattle to olympia and be there in time for the hearing so that's just that's like the whole thing of managing the winds and also manage and, and managing the bleed finding people who can speak finding people who are eloquent who can speak under pressure who can who are willing to take guidance on how to speak during these sessions that's huge not everyone is able to change their testimony on the fly and still have it be coherent to address what the other side is saying like some people are there like i'm gonna be here because the swing sets are too high and like okay we're here to make sure that the playgrounds are safe so now they're talking about the merry-go-round so why don't we address that the merry-go-round is an issue and then the guy gets up and talks about the swing set that's really one of the great ways of dealing with it um of of how to describe it and this is where you get the individuals like my constitutional rights yes i get it we all do doesn't help in fact if anything I have seen every single state legislator on both sides roll their eyes when they hear something like that because that's all they've been hearing. When you make a statement to something like this, you need to make it personal. You need to make it why, how that law is going to penalize you as an individual or as a community. That's where it matters 
because that's what the other side does. You have to bring in the, you're not bringing in the emotions, you're bringing in why this affects me. Here, I am your constituent. I vote. This is, this bill will make my life dangerous. This is why. That is one of the approaches on how to stop these bills because that's what the other side is using. And you have to counter and go on the offensive. Just saying my rights. Well, let me ask this. Is, is, you know, people that don't get involved, right, only get involved when they need to. And, you know, that's golden. Mm -hmm. They should get involved in anything if they're not interested in it, right? We'd be a bunch of ninnies if we were worried about everything of everybody. So if people aren't familiar with it, the antis are doing stuff not because they're brilliant or they're super marketers. It's because they're watching what's successful for the tobacco industry or for medical or for, you know, fill in the blank yeah. person trying to lobby or trying to get a bunch of people pissed off about something. They're just following recipes. And honestly, it sounds like they're following either recipes that are established and may or may not work because they don't yes. care or they're following stuff that, intentionally kind of works because they'd rather keep playing tetherball than actually win a game ever. Mm -hmm. And you have to see what moms, moms against drunk drivers did. This is the same playbook on a lot of that stuff. Are you pro or anti the strategy? Cause I used to say, look at the way potheads got, because uh, back in the day, I used to have to say medical marijuana, but now it's recreational marijuana. I don't think there's like a marijuana magazine or like some marijuana superstar that got everybody going to concerts or somehow united against or united for change in the laws. Like somehow a bunch of people who get high and sit around got it to where almost all the states have medical marijuana potentially. And then a bunch of them have recreational, right? There and, were actually several magazines that did that were actually against. Oh, in general, it. it's not like there was, you know, this politician that rallied oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the truth or something. Um, same with the moms against drunk driving. So I used to use those as my, why can't 2A be similar to that, but better, right? Because we got fundamental stuff and we're better and we've got more people than mothers against drunk driving. So it's like we got the best of both worlds. But then I would get challenged in the because I've said this for long many years, so I've got both challenged and praised for that. So where do you fall on the? You brought it up, so you, I'm I'm assuming you're pro the mothers against drunk driving uh, example. I'm pro with the example because it's marketing, and this is me coming from a marketing background for 20 years. Okay. And with knowing how marketing is done and knowing how you can change the mindset and change the culture and bring in different things of how to approach somebody who isn't fully aware of what's going on. And that's a huge thing. And it's a huge part of it. And it's like, how do you reach? I mean, I have, some of the imagery that I've created over the past however many years, the past decade, I'll see them sent back to me. And it's like, hey, is this one of your designs? And I'm like, yeah, I don't label or name or tag 90% of the work that I do on purpose because it's in your face. It is done to 
make an image to have an impact. The, we used to joke about the uh, anti-drug acts on how silly they were. But I bet we all remember this is your, with the frying pan, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs where they cracked the egg and it was the egg was your brain and they cracked the egg and the frying pan was your brain. We all, anybody who grew up during a certain time frame remembers that. We all laughed at it because it wasn't a well done message to fight what was going on, what people were doing. And marketing has to be done in a way to make people think, to make people react, and to make people remember that, oh, wait a minute, there's a name that goes along with restricting rights. There's a woman who died because of that. So policy work with the activism is not easy. I never, I was never paid for any of this. This was all volunteer work. I used my skills from being a graphic designer, from being a creative director to craft some of the messages. Copy editing is not, copy editing or writing editorial, writing the, the words, it's not my strong point. But I knew people who did it very, very well. I knew quotes that had been done very, very well. I used those in my imagery and put it and put it on that way. So that's how I did that part. Um, Tara Smith's Kitchen is talking about how people are activisms and things like that. And a lot of people just focus as an activist. That is their job. They will find out a way. Yes, there is a lot oh, of money. She's um, got a couple of questions or yeah. points here. So yeah, um, this one, so I think this is, unless I'm missing something, I think this is the beginning. The problem with activism is that most of the activists I know are employed as activists. They find every program and funding source to pay them and have mm -hmm. a bunch of help from people without jobs. Mm -hmm. The rest of us work. Most of the activists I know are in, in the LGTB, LGT, whatever, <laughs> community with a few in the gun community. The left seems to have a lot more people with free time that can organize. Well, I think that's an age thing too, right? Like if you've got yes. the youth who are sitting around because they're youth, right? Mm -hmm. then, I mean, I remember when I was a youth, I used to. And the retirees. I didn't think about the retirees. I think it's yeah, it, retirees that are have that inclination because there's also retirees that don't got no inclination or ability. Right. Right. So yeah, that lifestyle that you know that's mm -hmm. their that's their social thing or an element to their social thing. Yeah, and so it's it's a huge thing with this. You have people who are lost, who don't have anything else. They get involved with the march for our rights or things like that. And they'll have their travel paid for. They'll have their rooms paid for. They're not getting a salary, but it's like, oh, come here and we'll make sure that you're taken care of. There's ways of dealings with the stuff with activists that don't give them a salary. And the same thing with the retirees. 
And it's the same thing with the stay-at-home moms who are empty nesters, whose kids have gone off to college. Those are the most dangerous. Those are the ones who have the money and who are looking for something to do and will get involved with a political campaign or, or a particular thing with advocacy and go forward with it. I don't want to, I mean, I'm, I agree with you, but uh, I don't know if this is, we should start another conversation about it or not. Um, I don't think I'm, I don't know if I'm butchering Tara's comment because I could be reading it wrong or it could, she might be driving or something and uh, types it in a phone. I might be reading some of that backwards or upside down or something, but I don't agree. I don't, at least in my experience, at least because I don't have a lot of experience with activists on the anti-right side. I only know people on the pro-gun owner's rights side. So most people I know who consider themselves activists do something for a living. Mm -hmm. And then their passion is their Second Amendment act, act, activism, I guess, mm -hmm. and advocacy. Some people are writers, so their passion is writing a blog or books, right? Or, you know, being involved isn't being able to be called an author or doing research. Just a lot of researchers out there. Now, some people have figured out ways to make it sort of a living or whatever, but more than likely they're just barely getting paid for the time they're putting into what they consider a passion and a drive, right? right. But most of the people I know are working. Like, most there's people, very, very, very few that are not full-time something and then... They do activism beyond, not just on their free time beyond work, but then they have almost who doesn't have a family and yeah. who doesn't have their own health and their own issues to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, past, you know, if they're paying off bills or yeah. whatever. So just all kinds of things uh, are living she, off health decisions, right? And they're just not, they'd like to do stuff. They got the potential, but they're just not able to. So right. I'm just saying, she's, I, I never, she's, she's actually more correct. There are individuals who do receive a stipend. With that stipend, whether or not it be gift cards, it'll be something that'll help that they can exchange for something else. They are, when you think about it, if you could be in a place where you're going to be, if you, you get to a certain location, you wear a shirt, even if you don't speak, you're still there and you're going to type in saying that you're against a particular oh, yeah. you're, bill. You're part of you're the being paid by yeah. food. You're being fed for the day. You might... Um, You'll be, you'll be fed breakfast. You'll be fed lunch at the end. You'll be driven down and you'll be driven back up to where your vehicle is or where light rail connection, public transit and is. And it could be fun. And it's like your whole friends from bowling you're, or your friends from scout or whatever. Are going. Yes. So you've got a bunch of people that you know, you've been down there before and you're all talking, you're going to be there and you're just sitting during the hearing for and really where these where they come in on the busing is generally about um let's see the doors open at 7 30 hearing starts at 10 10 30 they'll start showing up at nine and then all of a sudden the line will go from maybe 50 people to 400 in a matter of minutes those are the individuals that are being bussed in. Now, there are several social groups that have a political advocacy that's a general political advocacy with them that the anti 
and I call the, and this is my specific terminology in this. Anybody who is against, who is for gun control, in my opinion, is against is anti-human rights because they dehumanize the individual who wants to defend themselves and wants to prevent them from exercising their human right or self-determination. I think they also create, like, especially we see now uh, 18 to 21 year olds have become a victim class. They cannot mm -hmm. legally defend themselves, or at least it's Correct. perceived that way. And now a criminal knows they can go in there with a big stick with a nail on it and strong arm any, what, emancipated individual who had a poor Not life. even emancipated. 18, you are a legal adult. You oh, are. True. I keep saying that, but emancipated would be under 18, huh? You, under 18, um, an emancipated minor. Or, yeah, goes to school. Mm -hmm. uh, military spouses, you know, get married and then the person's deployed. One mm -hmm. or the other's deployed and everybody knows they're deployed and now they're left unarmed. Yes, they're left defenseless if they're not living on base. Um, there are laws that allow less lethal devices to be used by minors who are above the age of 13. Each state is different. Each state, each individual will need to check their state laws. There are anti-bullying laws and things like that that can allow a minor to have a taser or a stun gun on them during school hours. It is very, very specific legal requirements in Washington state for this. If you know somebody who is being bullied horrifically and things like that or being attacked, they need to talk to a lawyer who specializes in self-defense. This goes for any state. There are specific laws for stuff like this. That's another conversation for another time, but we are going for this for the minors. Yes, an emancipated minor, uh, a, uh, an adult, a young adult who is 18 to 20, somebody who is subject to jury duty, who must register with select service, um, who is legally signing a contract, who is... Um, able to vote tried, that as, an tried mm -hmm. as an adult in court right yes tried as an adult in court you're out of the juvenile system once you turn 18. um if you're if you've been a foster child foster care system once you turn 18 the state boots you out you're an adult 18 is that number yet all of a sudden and the reason why it was dropped down for for voting because voting used to be 21 is because of the vietnam war and alcohol used to be 20. I remember when alcohol was 18. I miss being grandfathered on that when I was 17. I was not happy teenager on that part. Yeah, it's the same life. <clears throat> it was changing to 18 and 21 as I was going to be like 16 and whatever. Luckily, mm -hmm. a situation, all your friends are a year older and can drink and they, you know, you'd end up, yeah. you'd still live that life. But it's very much like the difference between the 70s and the 80s when you watch those. Oh, yeah and stuff high school kids drank a lot and then mm -hmm. they didn't drink at all yeah so there's a lot of stuff that goes along with this and so when it comes with your active activism you have groups and organizations that are used to fundraising pre-internet they are used to making phone calls or used to making meetings or used to making luncheons 
in my opinion, the 2A needs to get into that. The 2A needs to work, and this is where the DC project is going to succeed where nothing else will. Because they are taking what has been done with through the Junior League, through the Assistance League, which are the women who aged out of the Junior League. They're taking that and they're using that method of connecting women, whether they work or they don't, to be active in ways that they can be active, whether they work, whether they don't, whether they're a young mother, whether their kids are off to college, that's where the DC project's going to succeed. Where well, nobody else has. you kind of brought it around to one of the things I was going to say before. So appreciate that. And let me interrupt and say this then. So I don't disagree with the way the up until now, or you know, even now that there's that element, especially if I say, say I don't disagree that there's the uh, empty nester. I'm sure both sexes that have mm -hmm. nothing else to do in time. Um, but again, the DC, like you just said, the DC project, but also armed women of, well, it's the, uh, yeah, armed women of America, right? No, it's the, yeah, armed women of America now. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, other organizations and just in general, the Rhonda Mary, right? Like in yeah. general, the activists are more aware. There's more facets to the conversation. There's more people that are involved in different ways. So there's just so much to it that what the what they were sold with those with those empty nesters types we're just going to characterize them all as the empty nesters now so all those were sold gun owners are into violence they hate other people they're standing on their rights and this whole archaic dusty you know gotcha law and then they're using that to stand their ground and murder people and they're just mm -hmm. the worst people ever and then the same way that all we see is the weirdest extreme at least i say we most people i listen to you know you go to one chat and everybody's complaining about some video you go to the next chat everybody's complaining about the same video you go to the next conversation everybody's talking about the same video i'm sure if you went to the gun shop everybody's talking about that video mm -hmm. it's a nature viral but the, nobody questions why we're all talking about this video and why we're all upset when things keep getting passed and why money keeps getting spent and why our representatives aren't doing so anyway um, because that was the old narrative and the new narrative is the DC project and, you know, fill in the blank a million different, uh, people that represent the new gun owner, uh, mm -hmm. are those, are, there's going to gotta be less incentive. Plus they gotta be in a lot of times, whoever that empty nester is, they're fighting themselves or the people across the street where before it was an unknown phantom extremist. And that's, I, I think that's, what that meant it's your show that with that point out there is that an element or am i being no it is an element it is definitely an element um one of the things that i hear in a very very um pro gun control district is i'll hear the neighbors uh walking by and, and things like that and they'll be talking about like oh we have to have this thing i will do yard work with a shoulder holster I will have a cardigan or something else or like a hoodie on or something like that on, but I am armed with a, um, a Smith and Wesson MMP and I'm doing yard work. 
the neighbors have seen me over the before the lockdowns pack up the car to do boot to do the boots for firearm safety halloween i hand out suicide prevention information not from walk the talk america but from a, a washington organization called safer homes which is forefront suicide prevention which is a joint project with one of the gun control groups who got the woman got actually expelled out of her group for working with us on suicide prevention and the second amendment foundation so the um because they then, didn't want to talk about it or they thought they were it was working together because oh, it was joint like project. friends of friends we don't like that kind of thing yes yeah so they did not so the antis didn't like that this one particular woman was actually going to help find common ground to help reduce the firearm fatalities in washington state are 70 percent suicide to reduce that number will take some work and with it being 70 percent it's been 70 percent 70 percent or higher for several years with that didn't want to work together and then i also hand out information on kids safe foundation so this is derek leblanc's organization where he teaches firearm safety and has an anti-bullying message to young to children and it works he has reached out he has reached i think the number now is twenty-six thousand children in firearm safety i don't know any other organization outside in a short time who has done the numbers that he has and that includes doing firearm safety education in hawaii with hawaii's extremely restrictive current laws he's been able to reach them on that but and this the thing is, is that the Eddie Eagle thing is available and it was, you know, invented as an opportunity, as an, as a, what's the word, like a, an, an, an attempt to prevent persecution from antis. Yes. So I remember when it happened. Even that it before cool, that. But, but then, you know, it's had, it's been around for a while. So it's had mm -hmm. sort of like ups and downs. People yeah. like, they don't like it. It's been weird. It's been like out of touch. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been trendy. But the yeah. thing is, it's always been like a thing that's in the closet for an NRA sponsored event or whatever, or like a parade or something. But mm -hmm. uh, what, it, what Derek is doing is going out and intentionally trying to edge to, you know, train kids or give yes. kids uh, awareness. And that's a little different. It's more of a um, fire safety versus we do fire safety at fairs, like, you know, having fire safety show up in a school and say, Hey, it's Thursday. And we're going to talk about fire safety versus right. if you go to the fair and they feel like it, then you have a fire safety demo. If you walk over to that corner and look at it. Yes. We're and some of the stuff that he has, he actually has a, um, a blow up bouncy thing that you, he has a backstop like an on inflatable it, range, an inflatable range for BBs. And he does an incredible, incredible amount of work with that, with BBs to children and, and going through. Kid, like, oh, an inflatable house, you know, maybe yeah. 
I'm too old for that. And then it's like, oh, wait Down a minute. Four. Shoot BB guns in it? Oh, wait, hold on. What? Yeah, four, that, I've seen cool four-year-olds shoot through this. And how he does it and how the kids realize that they listen and they act. And the whole thing with the fire, it's a start of the whole message. And he gets it out there with the parents and everything else. It's incredible to see what it, the work he does. My husband and I, RSO, from when he does his Centralia, Washington um, events, which is about once a quarter. And that's more at the range, going through a whole other program different than the, than the, the bouncy house with the BBs. And there's actually range time where he'll go through and the kids end up shooting about 100 rounds of the 22 for this and learning firearm safety and really focusing on it. Um, and a couple of kids discover talents that they didn't think they had and discover confidence that they didn't think they have. So, but this is just part of the whole thing. And this is where everybody working together in the community and supporting everybody, we can actually be more powerful than the antis. And this is where we as not part of the NRA, not part of the GOA, not part of any of the actual organizations. It's where we as a firearms owner can change the culture and change the general mindset of things. And not just about the gun ownership or like people's opinion about carrying guns around, but just the idea of like, if we champ when we champion the idea of uh, what we're in favor of what that creates is a safer society a society mm -hmm. where people had been apprehensive and literally scared to death about their neighbors mm -hmm. and the property that they owned once they figure out unfortunately against their will and to some extent at least against their pleasure that their neighbors have that freedom and they experience it what they'll experience is we're talking 25% of the population lives in places where carrying a firearm is prohibited. So they, their world doesn't have people that carry guns. That means 75% of the population-ish, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but about that number runs around knowing if they don't have a gun in their pocket, anybody else could. Mm -hmm. And all those people who would never have a gun in their pocket have to live with that reality. They know yeah. it. And, and it's just, you know what I'm saying, that hasn't happened for like 25% of the population in a world where that 25% of the population chills out and figures out that that's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about, right? Like that yeah. accomplishment makes us as individuals stronger because liberty wins an individual, uh, like we're not afraid of our neighbors as much anymore. So that's what right. we're really champion. And that's why I. Yeah. And this is the danger of the individuals who say, I'm a gun owner, but. And this is where Giffords has gone with the gun owners, trying to get the gun owners involved with their specific um, uh, gun control uh, program and things like that. And these are the individuals who uh, a lot of a lot in the 2A industry, in the 2A community, call your FUD. These are the ones who are individuals like, well, I was a vet. I don't see you need to have this. The, most of the time, those individuals need to be push back politely outside of Twitter. I am, I will be very honest. I am a absolute witch on Twitter. 
So, but getting into the community, showing that firearms are safe. Um, one of the things that I do, I hand out either Derek's information for Kids Safe Foundation, including the how to be safe with children with firearms for Halloween, along with the candy. Every single child that comes to the house for Halloween gets, first of all, full-size candy bar, because I believe in that. Secondly, they get a flyer for Kids Safe Foundation or for our safer homes for suicide prevention. Every Ever single one. Anybody complain or say anything or say things? I've had, uh, I've seen only two things crumpled in the yard, like thrown away. It's like, oh, don't like this, threw it at the house. That's it. Because Kids Safe Foundation and Safer Homes are for suicide prevention and for safety, no. Because I'm trying to make sure that the parents also have the information how to keep your child safe. That's all what any parent wants. Yeah. They want to keep their child safe. How are you going to keep your child safe? You keep your child safe not by keeping something that is in the majority of the country. You're not going to ignore it. There are more guns in this country than there are people. Hands down, I think the latest numbers, there's over 600 million firearms in this country that they know of. And there's only 360 million people in the, in the United States. Yeah. So this is where pushing the safety. Now, in the 1970s, and this is the whole thing, everybody knows of Cooper's four rules of firearm safety. When you take a look at the hard numbers of accidental firearm fatalities they used to be in the tens of thousands now they're less than 500 a year that was the firearms community taking the initiative to be safe and just yeah and and literally that's what it was i mean it, that's one of my projects and one of the things we'll be collaborating on going forward here is, is uh, getting that stuff ready for mm -hmm. uh, prime time. But uh, yeah, there's literally, you can chart. Uh, I think, I don't want to say, because I'm looking at it through rose-covered glasses, perhaps, because the sources I'm looking at it are pro-rights. You know, mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of times these are done in anticipation of a campaign against us or something. Yes. Where, you know, they're done to uh, to strengthen or bolster our side. And the result is, yeah, like basically having, for example, a safety manual in the box. Mm -hmm. Not that everybody needs it or everybody wants it or some, but some people are apprehensive or some people are just inexperienced and some people need it. What also happens is that safety manual gets taken out and laid there and some kid reads it who isn't ready for a gun yet, but they now read a safety manual. Mm -hmm. They got nothing else to do. And to them, that's like super cool to look at, right? Or somebody read it when they're bored at a dentist's office because it was laying there, whatever, mm -hmm. right? So uh, that, what does that do? That trickles around the, the community and there's more awareness. When there's more awareness, right? When TV, movies, all that creates apprehension, people aren't as apt to just pick up a gun and start pointing and pulling triggers. Like people just mm -hmm. figure that stuff out. So, I mean, a lot of it was intentional. Some of it was harder to track like that, but 
you also have the internet. How are things going to change with the internet? I mean, look at the prevalence of SBRs, short yeah. AR-15 pistols, AK pistols, Glock things, uh, all these things with braces on them. If people were as reckless and as unsafe and as, uh, you know, potentially dangerous, I mean, with a rifle thing, the size is just the, I mean, could you think of a more dangerous thing than to put rifle caliber stuff with high capacity in a very short thing that the barrel is, you know, seven inches long on? Mm -hmm. Where do you see scourges of accidents or unintentional or even deliberate? Like, and these things have always existed. Humans yes. just aren't that mean to each other. Like, there's yeah. a couple of individuals that are super mean to each other, and there's ways to address that. But what we're doing is we're eliminating this idea that gun owners can be marginalized into taking the blame or the, the burden of all of, the, of those intentional bad people mm -hmm. uh, every single time they feel like it. Yeah. So one of the other things, and because we're getting up to the two hour mark and yeah, well, I think we're going right. to, and we can probably kind of close this up because I know you and I talked about having me on coming again and the, I promise we won't be going as long, hopefully. Um, no, we <laughs> so one of the things to be that when people are talking about and being aware of this is when, is if somebody sees a anti or somebody who's repeating the whole, oh, gun deaths and this and that. I will try to make sure that, and there is documentation and I know I've put it out and I know there's others who have put it out. There are actual breakdowns. And I know for 2017 down to the city of the top five cities where firearm fatalities that are not suicide are occurring. When you overlay the maps of um, what suicide is, along with firearm ownership, you're going to see it's more the pro 2A states, more the gun, pro uh, gun states, because it's suicide. Six, on average, 60 to 75% of firearm fatalities are suicide. Those suicides are tied to rural, white, older men, or, for, or police law enforcement, and military and veterans. Those are the individuals who are committing suicide via a firearm. And that is a very, very specific group. Suicide is rising exponentially right now. It used to be that firearms were 70 and 16, 70% of suicides not just firearm fatalities being of suicide, but the suicides were firearm fatalities. We are now at parity with non-firearm fatalities. So hanging, stabbing, uh, or slicing your wrists, I should say, um, over, known overdose, asphyxiation are now 49.5%, if not higher, for suicides. And the other ones are firearm fatalities. What they can't designate on this are your opioid and fentanyl overdoses. They can't tie those to suicide all the time. And sometimes it's not done because of insurance and religious reasons. If yeah, an just, 
family doesn't want to talk about it. It's like their business or whatever. The family doesn't want to talk about it. And what a lot of people don't realize, and I believe this is also within Islam, but I know for a fact, if an individual is Catholic and Christian and Jewish, if they commit suicide, they cannot have a religious burial because it is considered to be a sin against God. And they are buried on unhallowed ground. So the death certificate for that reason will not say suicide. Unless they can show to the priest, to the rabbi, and maybe to the imam that that person was under severe mental stress and was not in the right mind. That's how you get the religious burial. For the insurance purposes, there are clauses that prevent payouts of a insurance policy on the death of an individual is prevented or they don't receive any of the payout if it was a suicide. Two major things. And that's the reason why a lot of the opioids and a lot of the others, unless it's a no, unless it's an obvious thing, cannot will not always be tagged as suicide for that reason. You have chronic pain patients who are in extreme pain. You have individuals who are despondent and things like that who will overdose. And that will look as an overdose, not as a suicide. The suicide numbers in this country are significantly higher than what is actually reported. Well, How the, the idea here is always that by suggesting by using the gun owner or the gun as a scapegoat, what they're really doing is taking time and attention that could be used to create uh, either uh, more awareness or mm -hmm. operate hotlines or yes. help people who are in Outreach, the most risk mental health. not have to deal with whatever it is that gets them into that level of stress. But those are things that would, well, one, they would, I guess some people say they don't sound as sexy for re-election, although I don't mm -hmm. believe that because they can, if they're good at being a politician, then they can, they can let people know this is what we're working at. This is a real solution. But in other words, for whatever reasons, they don't do it. I think it's more of the tetherball game. They'd rather keep playing tetherball than win because yeah. then they have to figure out something else to do. But uh, I think that the that's the tendency of the people playing tetherball. But the way you have influence is by not watching them play tetherball anymore. They can only play tetherball. That's you know I'm using that as an analogy. You could say ping pong. You could say whatever. There's the two-sided game that the mm -hmm. two parties or the people on both sides of any issue want to play. Because they're probably profit off, profiting off the people who are have some skin in the game. So yes. they don't have any skin in the game. They can profit off of everybody who does because they can dangle over whatever. Well, we walk away from them. They have less and less um, ability to, uh, well, they're going to have less and less reason to want to play with that particular song or, you know, play with our particular issue. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we're winning with. Again, going back to the DC project and just awareness in general and some of the stuff you've mentioned too. Um, by winning, we set precedent to the other side that we're not laying down and just taking it anymore. We're changing who we are and well, lots of stuff we can get off in a topic. So again, we've tried to end this at around two hours here. 
I asked Close. a question to the audience who was watching live. We've had a lot of people joining us, but it is late. And uh, for us on the on the east or what are we? The west coast. West coast. Uh, I kind of flop back and forth because I'm in Arizona and our time zone changes kind of with our. Dozen no, your time days. doesn't change. Well, <laughs> Thank you. Know, I wish it. I, w I wish we didn't change. God, I miss that. <laughs> well, that's everybody says that, but the problem is that correct we don't move but everybody else moves around us yeah. so effectively we shift our whole world shift by a, an hour every once in a while yeah but in any case i'm on the on your time now it's only 11 o'clock for us and you work overnight yeah. without getting too much detail so i appreciate you taking the time but for those of us for those of you who are watching live again thanks for staying up late and participating in the chat out there there was a poll we got a bunch of people ask or answering it uh just to have something completely off topic as a palate cleanser. I don't think I've ever asked or heard you talk about this before. Um, what would you choose as your best pizza option? Would it be a Chicago style, a New York style, or a Detroit style, or some other thing entirely? I'm a New York girl. I make a New York pizza. I make my own pizza. I make my own dough. I make my own sauce, get fresh mozzarella, and it's mozzarella and provolone. And... Um, uh the, um the new york style thin crust right. i will take a st louis also oh what's st louis then oh st louis is beautiful it's a little bit different it's got the cheese is a very different type of a cheese um very very so thin starting out like a new york though a thin it's a very thin it's almost like a cracker crust um but a st louis style pizza oh it's delicious it's wonderful but i'm i'm a new york girl um for types of pizza um, I will take a good sh uh, deep sh dish Chicago, and everyone's gonna hate half. Uh, half of everyone's gonna hate me. There is no pineapple on pizza. That's not a pizza. Yeah, um, that's not half of people. That's just a weird minority of people <laughs> that are vocal about it. But yeah, I hear you. I and hear you. I don't I, like to eat stuff in any of my food, but I definitely. I'm pretty much a uh, pure pure cheese, it, because th that's going to tell you if it's a good pie. That's going to tell you if the crust is good, the sauce is good, the cheese is good. If you start throwing the meats on it and you start throwing everything else on it, you obscure the quality of the ingredients. So, you know, Tara, she was talking about a hospice nurse OD. Yes, that happens all the time. All the time. There is a lot of, there are, there are known serial killers who work in hospice and work in hospitals who murder patients. That happens here in the United States. They've had cases, they have caught individuals in the United Kingdom, in France, and in Germany that I'm aware of. And I would not be surprised if it's in other countries. So, um, yeah, we'll definitely talk about this. If people have things that they want me to focus on more specific, um, they'll let you know. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I wanted this one to be a little bit more um, organic, or whatever. <laughs> only because I try to do my first interview with somebody so that uh, you get an opportunity to say this is a chat where you know, like you said, you, you're going to have a whole bunch of interviews over span of doing stuff. This yeah. is the one you can say, "Oh, I had some time to just get into it in this one." Although, like you say, you you're more than willing to chat, so I'm sure you've got others that you've elaborated on like you say the ones with foss are awesome chats really really <laughs> awesome chats i'd highly They're recommend long. people that listen to this show 
uh, are usually working shift work. They're downloading a podcast. They're downloading the audio drivers, people that, uh, you know, are doing something where they put the headphones in and, and do something for a while. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely the one from FOSS. You're probably already aware of this if you're listening to my channel, but if you're not, uh, this DM FOSS is a guy on YouTube who has a couple, uh, he does an overnight show on sun Saturday nights, overnight Sunday mornings. And, uh, that's where we started chatting. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so I'll, I'll put a link to the after chat for people that want to jump in after, because uh, I'm sure, unless you're jumping off, then you know we can chat off. No, there. I can, I can, st I can stick around for probably about a half an hour. Okay. Well, let me ask you then one more question, just to sure. wrap this one up, and to hopefully make it optimistic. Uh, I do have a bunch of them here, so I'll use some of these for other uh, chats though in the future. But uh, what realistic changes would you suggest to the two A activist community? in 2022 if everybody who were at amcon and you had the stage everybody was like shut up listen and you <laughs> and they all did right uh what realistic changes would you suggest to everybody at, at uh gun rights policy and everybody listening at home who considers themselves activists keep what realistic focusing changes on the local. Do? keep focusing on the local that's where we're winning even though washington has had some serious setbacks We've also been fighting hard. Keep focusing on the local, keep focusing on the county, keep focusing on the state. We have 25 states with constitutional carry. That was not heard of 10 years ago. That's all within the last 10 years. Keep focusing on the states and you keep changing on the states doesn't matter what the federal does because you can you can fight the federal and this is where the equivalent of marijuana laws come into play if the local county and state are not going to facilitate federal law enforcement on the enforcement of federal laws Federal gun control fails. Changing the county and the state laws is where it matters. Win at the state, win at the local. We are a republic of 50 countries for all intents and purposes. 50 states. Our state are where our power is change the states change the country right on um i appreciate your time again and mm -hmm. we'll uh chat again look forward to that oh i was gonna say uh the one of the things that um we had talked about and um i appreciate again your opportunity is that uh, you're gonna be helping me to get some of my uh attempts at publishing what we have on the websites uh ready for prime time so mm -hmm. that's some of the stuff we'll be chatting about in future ones i'll be getting yes. you that draft or whatever so you can check it out but again thanks to everybody who watched us live if you're listening to us in the future wherever the the platform is if it's a video or if it's an audio platform there'll be links uh to uh, sharon's interviews and to some uh, uh project links that we talked about tonight 
Thanks to DJ for dropping links as we've been live. And uh, I'll put a quick commercial in here for our store. Thanks to everybody who grabs stuff uh, from our store. It makes us possible to do this stuff. And there's been a banner at the bottom of the screen all night thanking our Patreons, the 149 people that make it possible for me to spend time on things like this without trying to sell you a grip angle or a red dot scope or try to buy, you know, sell you nothing. So thanks again for joining us live. We're back to pick you up later. Gearwebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is free patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at Gearwebsites.com. The guys and gals at GunWebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice once a month, and carry every day. Thank you for watching Gun Website.